0: everyone and welcome to the Malthouse games podcast this is episode 21 we are of legal age to finally drink the beers we've been drinking since we started
1: because that's how time works
0: it's exactly how time works this is the Malthouse games podcast we are a tabletop games podcast we talk about board games card games rpgs and other tabletop games but mostly focusing on the board and card aspect
1: with the occasional cat
0: with the occasional cat or dog that I usually edit out, so you won't really get to hear that too well. My name is Delton. I am the host. With me today is my lovely wife and yellow player and co-host, Haley.
1: And I am hijacking this episode today. We are now a murder podcast, and we're going to talk about the staircase. No. Yes.
0: No. Delton,
1: tell people what they want to hear. Tell us about the staircase.
0: So we just finished watching this series on Netflix that used to be on YouTube called The Staircase. It's a murder mystery documentary, sort of in the veins of... Was it Making a Murderer?
1: Yes. Kind of not as thrilling as Making a Murderer, but it still aims to exonerate someone, or the director says it wasn't their aim, but I kind of think it was their aim.
0: It was a good documentary, though. I mean, obviously there was bias behind it, and everything you read... I mean. I'm pretty sure anybody who watches these murder mystery documentaries goes on and reads, like, what evidence was left out of the documentary.
1: Thank you, Reddit.
0: Yes, because we do that as well. And it was really good, though. It was an entertaining show. Gives you some evidence here and there. It does leave things out that I guess have been talked in more depth about on some podcasts and in some books. And so we might listen to some of those podcasts about it.
1: It was the owl.
0: There is an owl theory. You should watch it, and you'll understand why towards the end.
1: The raptor claws, the sharp talons, death and destruction in bird form. You're dumb. Yeah.
0: Anyway, it was really good. Uh, We had fun with it. It was only like 13 episodes or so. That's been entertaining to watch, but that's what we just finished before this.
1: It made my anxiety kind of high. Not gonna lie. A little bit for sure. Yeah, so you probably should not treat this as a self care session because if you're already feeling kind of stressed or a little anxious or a little overwhelmed, this is not the best show for your emotional well being, depending on how invested you tend to get in these kind of things.
0: I think I agree with that. Just because it is, you know, I mean, it's a murder mystery. There's a murder and there's a mystery behind it, and so it's all kinds of blaming and pointing fingers and trying to figure these theories out and it's stressful and it makes you think about things and it's just kind of crazy, but it's at least entertaining. Yeah. So we got done watching that. Uh, In terms of what we've done lately, not a whole lot. We have been recovering from Gen Con basically still. We've played a lot of welcome to we've played Arboretum a few times
1: Welcome to is so much fun. That is one of my new favorite games.
0: We'll have to talk about that soon or do a review or something sometime soon.
1: I agree. Stay tuned.
0: Exactly. We'll have to do something for that one. But we've just been hanging out. I got the new World of Warcraft expansion, so that's been a big development for me, which means I'm spending a lot of time on that.
1: Which means I'm technically single now.
0: Haley's single, ready to mingle. Not really. It's been fun. World of Warcraft's fun.
1: I mean... I'm kind of having flashbacks to living in that 400-square-foot apartment by myself in Stillwater right now.
0: Except our house is bigger than that, so you shouldn't.
1: (laughs) And I have cats. But no, it has been fun. Normally, whenever Delton plays this World of Warcraft, I come sit on the floor and do hood rat stuff on my computer or read books or plot world domination or something like that. So it's been kind of fun for both of us.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing where uh, we're at a stage in our marriage and relationship where if I play World of Warcraft, she'll come sit next to me or sit in the same room and do something else and sometimes when she's working on one of her articles or doing something that she needs to work on or something she wants to do I'll just sit next to her and watch TV or something so we have this weird relationship where we don't have to be doing the same thing but we like to be next to each other or near each other in the process I don't know that that's weird but I don't know if that's the norm or not because I don't like ask all my friends and stuff
1: probably means we're closer to divorce than we'd like to admit
0: uh hope not
1: (laughs) Just kidding!
0: Oh God, you're not
1: getting away from me!
0: Oh God! Well, to ensure that I'm not getting away, we're gonna drink some beer because I can't definitely <laughs> can't run on that.
1: What Delton can do on beer is dance.
0: If you give me enough, yes, but it takes a lot.
1: And his dancing is both feet firmly planted on the ground. Delton's upper torso is swaying more twisting than swaying. You're not really swaying. You're you're. It's going in a twisting motion. And generally, Delton has to have both hands occupied, so he can't, like, dance with just a beer in his hand. He normally has his phone or someone else's beer or something else in the other hand, I think for stability. Because I'm afraid if he were to just do his little twisting motion with both feet planted on the ground, he would be lopsided with only one object in one hand and would thus fall over. Therefore, he compensates by holding something else.
0: I think that hypothesis is likely correct. It may need testing. However, I do not feel like being the subject of testing to that anytime soon.
1: <laughs> you have to see it, though. It's not like he looks at anyone in particular. His, ang- his gaze is like at a 30 degree angle down. And we don't know what he's looking at, but he's looking at something. We need to do like a Pythagorean theorem to figure out what the hell you're actually looking at.
0: It wouldn't be too hard, I'm sure. It's usually just the ground.
1: Is it anything on the ground, or do you remember at that point?
0: I think I just stare. I find a spot that no one's at. I don't make odd eye contact. I'm not looking at people in any manner. So I just (laughs) stare at the ground, and it's just good. It just looks better than staring up into the sky or on the ceiling.
1: Uh, I kind of think that staring into somebody's eyes would be a little less awkward than just staring at the ground doing this twisting motion with two objects in your hand.
0: Maybe you as an onlooker would think that, but me as the one participating and doing it, no, that would not be less awkward.
1: How many beers do you generally have to drink to get to that point?
0: I I do not like to disclose the actual <laughs> amounts of alcohol that can be consumed by my body. Today, <laughs> our first beer is the Oatmeal Stout from Free State Brewing Co. Brian brought us this one from Kansas. It says a coffee-like brew, finishing soft and velvety from a rich foundation of oats with subtle vanilla notes. Oh, it rhymed. How sweet. <laughs> Uh, seven malts and roasted grains offering full-bodied flavor. I do love an oatmeal stout. This one has a really cute puppy. I don't know what kind of puppy that is, but it's very fat-faced.
1: It's technically speaking a soft puppy.
0: Is that the technical term that all the vets use now?
1: All the vets. Soft and or All Alrighty, what should we drink to?
0: I don't know. This brew is very dark. It's got a nice thick head on top. Uh, well, how's the That's a- what she said. Thank you. How's the aroma? It
1: smells like cocoa nibs.
0: It's very sweet smelling. I mean, it smells like an oatmeal stout.
1: It's like cocoa nibs at first, but then like a a light tobacco tar after smell.
0: Tobacco tar after smell.
1: Yeah, you get me.
0: Whatever. I'm just ready to taste it. Uh, let's toast to 21 years of age, I guess, which is for the podcast, not us. We're older than that.
1: Well, the podcast is only really seven no, months old.
0: No, every episode of this podcast is a year for the podcast. All, all it's just right. like, it's like dogs. Dogs have dog years. Podcasts have podcast years. This is our 21st podcast year. <laughs> it takes, <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. It takes 26 podcast years for one human year. That'll be our one year anniversary of the podcast, but it will be 26 in podcast years.
1: And no, everybody, Delton has not consumed any alcohol before the taping of this podcast.
0: This is how this works. If we were a weekly podcast, it's a different type of podcast, a different breed, so to say, so to speak. And so it would take 52 weeks for one human year of podcasting.
1: The further Delton strays from logic, the further his (laughs) hands go away from his body whenever he's talking. It's so true. I'm
0: reaching out like toward the sky. I'm trying to grab games (laughs) off the shelf.
1: You're trying to grab logic out of thin air.
0: Well, let's toast to 21 years old and logic.
1: And logic. I,
0: I guess just for uh, safety reasons, we are 27 and 26 at this moment in time. Thank you. Which one's which? Then done. Mm. It's got that nice thickness. I know it most out usually has. I'm trying to put my finger on more of the flavor.
1: I feel like I'm drinking a Yoo-Hoo. A beer form of a Yoo-Hoo.
0: I don't see that much chocolate. I get a lot more of the roasted. I can definitely taste a lot of the darker roasted malts. I'm trying to make our tasting of the beer more interesting, because in the early episodes, it was just like, ah, it tastes like beer. Yeah. All right, cool. Let's move on. And that was it. But I feel like the beer aficionados that may listen would appreciate a little more. The bad part is I'm not trained in this. I haven't practiced this. So it's just like, what's happening?
1: I took a class and got an A. But that was wine. It's like if you took Nesquik, put it in coffee, and made it alcoholic. Say that word again. It's like you took Nesquik, and put it in coffee, and made it alcoholic. I believe it's Nesquik,
0: not Nesquik. Hail. I I think it's Nesquik, like Nestle. (laughs) (laughs) Haley's entire world just rotated upside down. All
1: right, archipelago.
0: I don't know how to say the word archipelago. (laughs) It usually comes out as archipelago, just FYI.
1: I know we've talked about this before, but...
0: We have. I'm a moron. It's fine.
1: (laughs) No, you're not. I said Nesquik.
0: You did. You did. Well, that's our first beer. I say we move on from here. We had a new friend, Colin, come over. Oh, God, you yelled. Oh, my eardrums. He came over to the house on Monday night, which was two nights ago. On grad school eve. On the eve before he started grad school. And he brought over a game for us all to try. He had kickstarted it, was excited to play it. His game group didn't really seem interested. And so we said, bring it over. We will give it a shot. Oh, here's the door. Uh, uh. It's straight ahead. It's, it's a game. So the game we are talking about that Colin brought over is Root. So Root is a game published, uh, produced, whatever, by later games... L e d e r, I think that's how it's pronounced. It is designed by Cole Verla, is how I'm going to say it. It looks like Werler or Werla, Werl, W e h r l e. I'm assuming a German esque style name, so like Verla. We'll see. The artist is Kyle Farren, and I guess that's it for the list of people. So Root is essentially what you would call a war game. Now I do not have experience with many war games. If I do. They are of the very, very light version. Root is themed in a wooded area with some clearings, a river, and some little pathways between the clearings. There are four different races, I guess you could say, in Root. There are the cats. Species? I guess it would be species. In in like a fantasy game, they'd be races. In other ones, they would be armies. In this one, they're like species, sort of. You have the cats. Le cats. You have the mice. Le mice. You have the vagabonds.
1: Vagabonds.
0: And you have the... I'm an, uh, Colin said eerie. I think it might be irie, but I have no idea. It's E-Y-R-I-E, but they're birds. So the way the game functions is on your turn, you take a certain type of action dependent upon what species you are playing. If you're the cats, you have your own different actions you'll be taking on your turn, than the birds, who have a programming board. And it's different than the mice, who use this kind of place a token early on in the game, and then later on that token turns into a revolt of the people. And then you have the vagabond, who runs around doing vagabond things. I guess we didn't get to play with that one, because you don't in a three-player game, unless you're using a scenario. So what makes this game interesting is it is asymmetrical, so every single one of the factions, one of the species, functions pretty much... 100% 100% differently than the other factions. You still can make movements, you can still make attacks, but the main thing you're doing in the game and the main way you score points is a completely different than the other people. That's what makes this game strange to explain. You have the forest with different clearings. The clearings are connected by little dotted pathways. You start with some people on the board or spread out on the board. Everybody has their kind of like home bases for the birds, it's roosts. For the cats, what was the cat's base called? Recruit? It's
1: like this giant castle thing.
0: Well, they had one that you could recruit people to, and it was like a handshake. Yes. Something like that. There's a story behind the game, which is like, the cats are a very industrious species. They're the
1: imperialist.
0: Basically, they're building, and they're trying to use the forests. the forests,
1: Using the natural resources of the land and kicking others out. They are Great Britain!
0: Essentially, Yes. The birds are kind of like communism. They just try to spread out. Fascism. They just spread out and want to take over everything. Take over Poland. In an ordered fashion. Except when Delton plays it. Stop it. And then there's the mice who are leading a revolt against the cats.
1: Basically, they engage in guerrilla warfare.
0: Essentially, yes. And so the way the game works is the cats basically build sawmills that make wood, use those wood to build more buildings. That's their main way to get points. The birds are going to build roosts spread out, and the more roosts they have, the more points they're going to gain. So they're just trying to spread out across the forest as best they can, but they actually use a programming board where you will place cards in it that you have to abide by. If you fail to abide by any of them, you take a big penalty. The mice place these little tokens where they start to place ideas in the people's heads that the cats who are running everything aren't necessarily the best. And essentially, they can later in the game they place sympathy tokens out on the board. Later in the game, they have the ability to cause a revolt or an uprising, placing then mouse soldiers on the board that they can actually physically use to go take over things. So the way the game plays is everybody takes their turn, expanding on the board, fighting. I do like the combat. Uh, We'll talk about that in a bit. And you're just expanding and trying to take your own personal path to victory. There is... A set of cards in the game that can replace your point token. So you have to work your way up the point track, and the first person to 30 points immediately wins the game. However, you can take one of these certain types of cards, and if you are able to take it and use it as a scoring victory, it eliminates your need for points, and then you just have to fulfill whatever the requirement on that card is to win. So that can kind of bring someone that's very far behind it can bring them a path to victory that might be a little easier. Yeah,
1: it's a great catch-up mechanic.
0: Yes. This game functions in that normal way. Everybody takes their turns that are all completely unique. Now, Haley, do you want to try to explain more of the cats? Because since I played the birds, I really can't say how the cats functioned 100%.
1: So, basically, whenever the game starts, there is a cat on most every location on the board. And the cats start out with one recruit station, a sawmill, and a crafting building. What I did was try and recruit as many cats as possible and build more sawmills and then build more crafting stations so that I can build more sawmills and I can build more things to get points quicker. So basically, my main goal in the game was to build things to get points so I could craft things in order to secure my points. For me, fighting really wasn't in my best interest because I was able to get points quicker through the natural talents of my cats, which is be crafty, huh, crafty
0: okay so yeah that makes sense in terms of me on the birds i had to build this little tableau of a programming thing with the first column that you build into is for recruiting the second one is for moving the third one is for attacking and the fourth one is for building more roosts if any of those cards failed at all you finish the rest of your your turn ends basically immediately you finish the turn immediately And you take a huge penalty and your entire program board resets. I only had it happen once, which was lucky for me. So on the clearings on the board, I know I spoke of, it's the forest, there's pathways and clearings. Each clearing is marked by a little symbol, whether it's a mouse, a fox, a bird, or a bunny. No, sorry, there's no birds on the board, but it's a mouse, a fox, or a bunny. Those symbols are on all of the cards you get in the game. So in terms of my programming board, if I put a fox-symboled card, or I guess it would be a suit, the fox suit card, in my move, I would have to move a unit from a fox clearing. So this made my strategy kind of strange, where I'm moving around trying to expand, but I have to have some place to move from, people to move from that type of place, and things like that. It made it very strange, but it was neat. Uh, The bird cards, the bird suit cards, I should say, are wild. They can count as anything. There are also cards you can craft, and those cards that you craft provide an item and some points. The item you don't use without the vagabond being out. We did not have the vagabond out, so we did not get to see how the items worked with that. However, you could get points from crafting those cards. Some cards also had abilities that you could utilize, and the way you utilize all of those is if you have rule over one of the clearings of that matching type. So one of the bunny cards said if you ruled three bunny clearings, you could play that bunny card for its ability. And the way you rule a clearing is have higher amount of things in that clearing than your opponent, whether it be workers, buildings, or both. I guess it's uh, not workers, but warriors, buildings, or both. So if I have a clearing with three birds and Haley has three cats, the birds win ties, so I would rule it. But if Haley had four cats, she would then rule that territory and be able to build there and things like that.
1: Or three cats in a building.
0: Or three cats in a building versus my three birds, her three cats in a building, would have more total things on her side to win the rule of that clearing. Now when you attack somebody, it's really simple. You've got two 12-sided die. They go zero to three three times. You roll both of them. The attacker gets the high number. The defender gets the low number, unless you're the mice. They flip-flop that. And then that's it. Uh, so if I have three birds, and Haley has three cats, and I'm the attacker, I roll the dice. I roll a two, she rolls a one. I kill two of her units, she kills one of mine. Nice and simple. You can only kill as many units as you have on the board. So if I had one bird fighting three of Haley's cats, and I rolled a two, I could only kill one cat, because I only have one unit to do that one of the two damage, if that makes sense. So combat's real clean, it's real simple to understand. Surprisingly... This game was way easier than I thought it was going to be once we started.
1: And it went by a lot quicker. It was estimated an hour and a half to two hours long, I believe, and it took us like an hour 10.
0: Yeah, it was about an hour 10 is all, which we might have missed some rules here and there. I don't know. Uh, but I don't think we did. And it just no. went quick. I think we were all adequate in our decision making. We didn't take too long. I think I took the longest, but I also had the programming board, which made me have to take the longest.
1: Right. Delton's analysis paralysis was not prevalent in that game.
0: It was not, Thankfully. But the game flowed really well. Uh, the graphic design was pretty good. I actually really liked it.
1: It was so adorable. It was a kitty, and the little kitty wooden tokens were so cute, and I loved it.
0: The artwork and illustration is awesome. It's very cute. It's just very neat. Uh, these forested creatures in a unique art style. It was really inviting and welcoming.
1: But the game is a war game. You are playing like you could easily slap on. Uh, what is it was it like ideology the board game ideology you each play a faction so there's the imperialist there's the fascist there's the communist uh there's the capitalist and then i think the socialist is the other one
0: the other one was the fundamental- fundamentalist
1: fundamentalist so you could have easily slapped that theme onto this game and it wouldn't have changed a thing because this is a war game it just so happens that you're a cute little kitty or you're a bird
0: Exactly. And so that made it a lot more inviting for us to dive into it, which was really cool. It flowed well. It played well. I saw it at Gen Con this year and I walked past the booth and I looked and I said, everyone's been raving about this. Uh, You know, it looks cute, but I don't really know anything about it. And then it looks cute. I heard it kind of is a war game, not really that interested. And I kept hum-hawing about it, never ended up picking it up. I didn't back it on Kickstarter. And after playing it, I kind of wish I would have picked it up because I think this is a fun game. have a different style than we usually play but the artwork and things do help the appeal for friends
1: makes it more inviting
0: i think so but all in all i can't say off of one play that i recommend the game to everyone i do think if it sounds interesting check it out oh yes because it was a very fun game it was more accessible than i thought i read through the rule book they do have a learn to play book and a like advanced index of rules essentially So the Learn to Play book was quick to get through pretty easy. Um, I think watching a video might help a little, but it wasn't that complex. And I would say, give it a try if you get a chance to Uh, just give it a shot. It will hit retail. So then you'll be able to go out and pick it up if you want. But I think I'm going to get it. And so I hope that says a little bit of something. But I definitely enjoyed the game. Seconded. Like I said before, I think one of the coolest, coolest parts of this game is how every single faction has its own Thing that it does, meaning that everyone plays in their own style, making this really a, like, very high version, or a very advanced version of an asymmetrical game.
1: Hey, what can I get you?
0: I'd like a topic.
1: Any special way?
0: Make it a top-shelf topic.
1: Coming up. Enjoy.
0: So before we get into the topic today, we're going to open our second beer, because we've already finished the first one. This is Preacher's Daughter Amber from Fountain Square Brew Co., which is out of Indianapolis. I believe we had a Fountain Square last time?
1: Yes, I think so. I think it was their pale ale.
0: I think so. I really like their label design and how the color is what differentiates the different beers. I don't know. It's just very neat. Um, I don't see anything. Toasted caramel aromas precede hints of citrusy hops with a slightly sweet and nutty finish. It's an amber. Hopefully it's pretty solid.
1: Preacher's daughters are nutty.
0: Ayy! Ayy. All right, let's give this one a sniff. It smells like a solid amber. I'm having trouble smelling it.
1: It smells like chamomile.
0: Chamomile? I don't know that I see that, but we'll see. It
1: doesn't really have that toasted amber smell.
0: We'll see how it tastes. Oh, Haley just gave a bad face. That was a bad face from Haley.
1: It tastes like sweet chamomile.
0: I don't see the chamomile. I get the citrus hops, the citra hops. Uh, I get a little bit of those. I get the amberness of it. It's definitely sweeter. You have to think, you just finished a very heavy oatmeal stout that might be affecting how this tastes. We might need to, like, refresh our mouths with some water.
1: I feel like I need to, like, lick a cat or something.
0: Well, there's a Hershey in the floor. He probably needs a bath.
1: He smells like dirt.
0: (laughs) Well, if this tastes like dirt, you'll be fine. I don't know. I find it pretty good. I think it's a pretty good amber. It's nothing crazy, but it's, uh, it kind of nails it, even though there's, there's just a hint a hint of those citra hops in the back.
1: It's getting better.
0: Like I said, we just came off that oatmeal stout, and we've been talking with that and not cleansing our mouth, and this is putting something new in, and I think it blended in a weird way at first. Despite what Haley says, I like it. <laughs> She's over here smacking and whatnot. But for the topic today, we wanted to talk about asymmetry in games. Since, like we said, Root has an asymmetric property about it, I thought that was a good topic to come in because that is something that is different. It is something that most games don't have. Asymmetry usually refers to the players doing or having the ability to do different things on their turns. The most basic form of asymmetry usually comes in the form of player abilities or player powers. One easy view of this is if you've heard of the game Ghost Stories. In Ghost Stories, you each play a different color of monk, whether you are green, blue, yellow, or red. Each of those have a different power they can use. One of them can move anywhere on the board instead of just the normal two or something like that. Nice and simple. You can look at Scythe, where each faction has one small benefit and then their mechs do maybe something different or in a different order, things like that. So it kind of changes it up a bit. That's going to be the most basic version. The next version of that, one that I think is a good example, is like Rising Sun. It does have just you know, faction powers, kind of like in Ghost Stories and stuff. However, they're a little more significant changing your style of play. Where in Scythe or in Ghost Stories, you're going to play essentially the same, just with a benefit here or there. In Rising Sun, it starts to morph the way you approach the game because they can be significant changes, right? So each player has their own method they're going about. You're still aiming for the same goal, and in the end, the same things are achieved in terms of combat or points or battle, whatever but it's done differently. Root kicks it up another notch, which is that every single player not only has a 100%, okay, I'm not going to say 100%, has like a 65-75% unique way to play. There are some overlap between the players in terms of you can battle and move. But the main thing they're going to, main way they're going to play is going to be unique to themselves. Their main goal is going to be fairly unique to themselves. And... Everything basically the players do is their own thing. And so it's a kind of a neat advanced version of that asymmetry because when I take my turn, everybody's watching what I do to figure it out. When Haley took her turn, I'm watching her to figure out what she's doing. When Colin would take his turn, I would watch and see what he's doing. And you have to focus on your opponents in an asymmetrical game like that because you don't know how they play, you're not over there reading the board.
1: Plus, they're built to have a completely different strategy, and they can't necessarily do the things you can do. Delton couldn't build a sawmill and use that wood to make stuff.
0: No, and yeah, and I couldn't, and you couldn't put down cards as a program.
1: Right, and so you are having to focus on what you're doing while taking into consideration what the other person's doing when you may not really have a grasp of what their character does. Which, granted, this is the first time that we've played this, and so I wasn't as familiar with the birds or with the mice as I was with the cats. But at the same time, it's really hard to take into consideration somebody's strategy when, in the downtime, I have to constantly re-evaluate mine.
0: Yeah, exactly. You're constantly focusing on theirs and looking at what they're doing and figuring out what they're doing. And then when it comes to yours, you're like, wait, I can't do the same things. I've got to focus on this strategy. And it really does give you a new puzzle in a, in a type of game like this. So I really enjoy that about Root. I think the asymmetry is really good. Another game that's kind of a super iconic game for asymmetrical play is going to be uh, Android Netrunner. It is right. It is now discontinued or being discontinued. <gasps> Boo! Which is super sad, even though I never kept up. But the game has two different players. It's a two-player card game. One of them plays as a defensive uh, kind of trickish side where you're trying to uh, not lie to the opponent, kind of trick them and trap them in these, uh, these guises and things. And the other opponent is trying to be very offensive. And so that's a very cool asymmetrical game. And there's something appealing about asymmetry, and that's what we wanted to really talk about as the, th- the topic today, is that asymmetry keeps people involved in a game a lot more than I think a normal version. Like if Root, everyone played the same way, I don't think it would be as fun. I don't think it would be as interesting to watch from the other side of the table when you're waiting on your turn.
1: It would decrease the playability.
0: It would also highly decrease the playability or the replayability because now I can go play a different faction and have a completely different experience at the game. So that's a really cool element of anything that's asymmetrical is it does increase that replay and it increases basically how you approach it and the different combos too. If you have a very aggressive friend playing as the birds versus a very passive friend, that's gonna change how the game plays. Ha! Yes. So, what are your thoughts on asymmetry in general? Do, do you think that they're a little bit inviting to people? Do you think that they're maybe off putting? Is there anything you think asymmetry benefits from or is detracting from the game or something like that?
1: I think that if you are teaching people who may be unfamiliar, With this type of game, it might be more difficult to teach an asymmetrical game. Not that all people aren't able to play games. I mean, you can teach a new player a difficult board game. But if you're teaching multiple players at once a new game, it might be more difficult to teach an asymmetrical game because you're having to teach each person a different board game, more or less. However, I don't think that should keep someone from teaching this game. I think that it is asymmetrical games are, like Delton said, inviting. They're new because they keep the game new. Like I could play the birds next time. I have a completely different experience. They keep a new energy in the game and it keeps you guessing the whole time. Like I really, even though I'm watching Delton, I kind of, he lays his cards out in front of him. I know what he's doing. I don't know what he's doing and I don't know what he's going to do next. It's harder for me to follow what his next move is going to be.
0: That's true. It takes the idea of a war game or an, uh, I guess you could almost say area control game in this case, which I guess a lot of war games tend to cross over into area control. I don't know. If I'm abusing the term war game, please let me know because I'm not sure. It's one of those things where we're fighting for control on the board. If it didn't have asymmetrical powers while we're trying to take control of all these clearings, we're all just going to be doing the same thing, rolling dice and attacking. And Colin kind of made the comment is this is what risk should have been. Instead of just rolling the dice and everyone doing the same thing, there's just that extra step. There's just that extra bit of powers and abilities and playstyles that make it interesting. The Ukraine is weak. Yes, the Ukraine is weak. But asymmetry overall, I think, is very, very interesting to add into games. I think it gives us something we haven't seen enough of. I feel like, yes, there is asymmetry in terms of player powers and different things like that. And then a game like this, or their other game is Vast. Vast also has asymmetrical powers where everyone has their own role. A lot of you may be thinking, well, what are some other games that I've played that have asymmetrical powers at least? Well, if you think about it, if you've ever played One Night Ultimate Werewolf, you've played a game with asymmetrical powers. One person's the seer, one person's the troublemaker, someone's a werewolf. You all have different things you're doing to achieve your goal. Yes, it's not as extreme as something like Root, which I know Root's probably not the extreme for asymmetry, but I do find it to be more extreme than most. But something like Werewolf, or if you look at Avalon, if you play Avalon as Merlin, or I don't know any of the other roles because we never use them, but if you play as like Merlin, yes, you're on the good team. You're still trying to win for the good team, but you have something unique that you can do that differs from everyone else. So that's kind of a version of asymmetry thrown into some of our favorite. Different deduction games. And so it's something that I think we see a little bit of everywhere, but when it's pushed and pushed more to its limit, such as in Root, I find that it really does increase the playability and increase the fun in the game, because otherwise I don't know that Root would be as good.
1: And why else is Root good, Dalton?
0: Root is also really good because the artwork is just stinking adorable.
1: Which brings us to.
0: The question.
1: And now join us for a Malt House
0: games podcast special size question. Today's question is nice and simple based off of our experience with Root on Monday night. Do you think that the look and theme of a game would attract or repel a player based on it alone for a genre? Or I guess a better question, a better way to phrase this would be. Do you think certain games could be rethemed and be much more appealing for people to play? Yes. All right, that's the show. Bye, folks. Bye. <laughs> no, basically, I'm saying this in a weird roundabout way. Do themes need to be more drastically out there or different? Yes. And why?
1: Well, I know we've talked about before uh, female representation of board games and various age representation of board games, just those, it, it has nothing to do with the gameplay necessarily. But having those characters in the game draw people to it. The same thing with the cutesy themes. I feel like, now this is from my perspective, you know, six years ago I wasn't a hardcore board game player. I played my apples to apples, my Monopoly, and that was about it. I believe what would have kept me from getting into board games before I met Delton was because my perception was a lot of board games are your treading the Mediterranean, your medieval, your dragons, your knights in shining armor. And, you know, a lot of Dungeons and Dragons and a lot of your classic games kind of follow that farming, that industrial, that medieval theme. And so I felt like that would have been a turnoff to me if Delton hadn't come along and showed me, no, these games are really awesome. And so you take a game like Root, and Root is a hardcore game. It is a ward game at its core. I, I don't think that you need to apologize for that because I really do think it is a war game. My fear is by applying the cutesy... Kitty cat, bird, woodland creature theme to it that people won't take it as seriously as it is because it has that cute theme. When at the same time, it can easily draw more people in because the theme is more inviting to other people. Not to say that medieval themes aren't inviting by any means, because, you know, Delton is really into the medieval stuff, especially whenever he was a teenager in early college. He was really into the Viking and the medieval. And so that interests him, that drew his attention. Not to say those themes are bad. But if we apply these different themes to harder board games, then I feel like it will bring more people to it because I feel like the harder the board game, the more complex the board game, the more likely it is to become this European farming medieval something or another game whenever it doesn't have to be that way in order to be a decent, good, complex game.
0: And I completely agree with that. If they take some of the games and just throw a theme on them that's a little more interesting or a little more unique, do some illustration that's like Root, very cute, very different and very unique. I feel like they could draw more attention to games that you wouldn't actually expect the attention to be drawn to. So look at a game that I love like Terra Mystica. Terra Mystica is almost your standard fantasy. You've got giants, you've got, you know, different things like that. And if that theme was something different. If it was something a little more outlandish, not so high fantasy trope, you know what I mean? It's not just a standard high fantasy theme. If they did almost anything else with it, which they did make their new version, I want to say that's what Gaia Project is, and it's in space. Ooh, space again. If they did something different, something completely unique with that game, I feel like they would draw more people to it. Yes, they would find out, oh, this is actually more complex than I thought. Like but that I f-
1: poor couple we saw open the box and Edmund unplugged.
0: Yes, that was... That was brutal when they thought they could just pick it up and play it.
1: They put it down on the table, and Delt and I just sat there, like, you know, do we, should we be those people? Like, we, we would provide instruction, but we, do we really want to be the people who come to the table and be like, hey, this game's a lot harder than it looks, guys? Because they just, like, looked at it for 25 minutes and then packed it up, put it on the shelf, and left, and we felt real bad.
0: It's one of those things where, yes, you could just sit down, learn the game, and play, but it's going to take you a while, and they were not in for a while. That's the problem. But if you took games like that and rethemed them, they could be fantastic. If you took a game, which given I love the theme, but if you took something like Shadows Over Camelot, where, you know, it's it's Camelot themed, it's King Arthur and the Black Knight and all that stuff, the Holy Grail. If you took that and made it some other theme that was
1: sorority girls, like different sororities, that would be a perfect theme to lay (laughs) on top of it. And it would be so fun. And that premiering at Gen Con, people would absolutely love it. It's already a great game. You don't have to change any of the mechanics. Just applying a different theme just brings in more attention.
0: I think so exactly. That's like one game I cannot get my hands on because I don't want to spend $200 for a used copy. If I could find Rococo, which is the game about dressmaking, I think that theme is fantastic. It's you're basically a tailor and you're making these fancy dresses. What game has that theme? If that game was another game where you're trading resources in central Europe in like the 1400s or, you know, something, it's going to be less interesting. But the fact that you're making these dresses and it's this lavish new theme that you haven't seen in a game before, it makes it so much more interesting. And I think that's something we need more of in the game world. We do get some cool themes. We get some very awesome artwork, especially when it comes to some of the artists that are really emerging now. But it's something that we need more of. We need less standard trading games. Give it a theme that's something unique. And I think it's going to stand out like Root does. Then, as long as it's a well-made design like Root, it's going to do exactly what Root has did, which is launch a fully funded, successful Kickstarter, get a ton of people purchasing it, talking about it, raving about it, tweeting about it, Reddit posting about it and everything, and now it's going to hit retail, and it's going to sell, and it's going to sell well because they did what they needed to do. They made a good game with asymmetry, which in itself attracts people. They applied a cute theme that was also well-designed and and well-illustrated and inviting. And all in all, the total bundle, they did what they needed to do to ensure their game will sell, and they did it, and it's happening. And I feel like people need to take a page from that book, and I feel like that will improve the game industry to the next step. Seconded. Boom. On that note, we're going to close this podcast out. It's been fun hanging out again.
1: I need to finish this beer. It's real hard.
0: Well, you can do that. I already finished mine.
1: My belly's full of salsa.
0: It is full of salsa. We did have some salsa with dinner. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully, this episode was interesting to you. If you could please go on to iTunes and give us a review, five star review, especially if you loved us, that helps us out become more visible. Make sure to like us, share, subscribe. SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, you know, we're on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Malthouse Games. It's M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games. Nice and simple. You can find us personally on Twitter and Facebook. I am at Delton Brack on everything. Haley is at
1: S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-L-Y-G-E-E-K.
0: Don't forget, if you haven't watched Haley's Psychology of Board Games on Rage Quitting on YouTube, it's got over a thousand views now. I think it's over eleven 1, hundred. And it's doing really well. It's on YouTube. Share it and like it for us. Throw it out there. Leave a comment, whatever you want to do. But go check it out. It's about 25 minutes or so long.
1: Thank you. And
0: hopefully my horrible screen uh slideshow editing isn't terrible in it for you. It
1: was informative. Thank you, Dustin.
0: It was helpful. But thank you guys for listening so much. I guess we're gonna let you go. Uh I think I'm gonna play a little bit of WoW this evening after I turn the fan on because I am sweaty.
1: We are the most Midwestern people when it comes to saying goodbye. If you ever try and hang up the phone with the, someone from the Midwest, <laughs> it's like, well, I guess I better go. Yes, I got to go too. Got to go switch laundry. Yeah, I got to start cooking dinner. Well, it's great talking to you too, man. I hope you have a good day. You too. Tell your mom hi. You too. Okay. Thank you. Love you. Love you too. Talk to you soon. You too. Bye.
0: That's exactly how fun conversations go in Oklahoma. <laughs> it's friggin' ridiculous, but it happens all the time. Thank you guys again. Until next time, sit back relax, grab a drink and play some games. Goodbye. See you guys.